Changing the story around pain. This is the Modern Pain Podcast, helping to improve the understanding and treatment of pain across the world through education, advice from experts in the field, personal stories from those living well with pain, and more. A modern approach to pain treatment, management, and education, while helping to bring the patient voice back to healthcare. This is the Modern Pain Podcast. Here's your host, Dr. Mark Cardula. What is going on, everybody? It's Mark Cardula, lead faculty here at Modern Pain Care, coming at you for another episode of the Modern Pain Podcast. And this week, we're going to do a little bit of a journal review, I guess you could say, an uh, article that was published in JOSPT in 2022. Jared's going to kind of lay out the details, authors, all that good stuff. But one that basically talks about the best exercises for chronic low back pain, um, if you're working in clinic, chances are your senior share of back pain. It's probably the most uh, common diagnosis that rolls through a PT clinic. So hopefully this episode resonates with you and and some of the results of the study hopefully can and the resulting discussion will have hopefully help you kind of, uh, you know, see what your thoughts are and, and see if it resonates with what we discussed today as far as exercise and low back pain. But before we do that, let's check in with Jared. How are you doing here, Jared? Mark, I'm doing well. I am. Uh, I am counting the days. I am very, very close to taking my first vacation in months and months and months, and uh, taking a trip across the pond to spend some time eating tapas and drinking lots of Spanish wine in Spain. So uh, I'm excited about that, and uh, we'll, we'll have to have a little break in the podcast, you know, for maybe a couple of weeks. I guess we'll allow that. I, I guess, you know, personal travels, you know, I don't think that's part of our contract, but, you know, I'll make an exception for that. But no, I, I'm, I'm sure I will see the, you know, and, and make sure you all tune into the Hall uh, Instagram feed. I'm sure there'll be plenty of wine picks and tapas picks. And he he's a, he's a good travel uh, documenter. So um, if you want to live vicariously through Jared, make sure you and hopefully this podcast should be out right around the time you're you're making those travels, my friend. So they'll be hopefully, you, and, you know, tuning in and seeing what you're up to. Yeah, well, clarification, my wife is a great travel documenter and planner. I'm a good resharer. You know, I'm just like, oh, I'll reshare that. I'll reshare that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's true. I do. Now that I think of it, I don't think I've ever seen you post. Usually you are just kind of rehashing the the talented uh, picture taking and and good. It's good to have a wife that does that because, you know, otherwise you would have no recollection of half of these things, especially when you're tuned up to, you know, all the Spanish wine that's, you know, doing what it does to people. Uh, so good that you have somebody that's getting those memories for you. Um, I know my wife pretty much the same too. I, I you know, our, my uh, Apple iPhotos is pretty much her. Um, we share an album that is chock full of our daughter and my wife and I's adventures that my wife has captured. So I, I'm with you on that one, my friend. But but let before we talk about we have amazing wives. We're lucky in that respect. Um, talk to us about the the details of this article so we can kind of lay the groundwork. And uh, you know, really, I don't think there was any amazing changes, but I think there's some things that we can talk about that would hopefully uh, benefit some of the folks listening. So can you lay out some of that for us? Sure. Yeah. <clears throat> so this article came out a couple of a uh, couple of months ago in uh, the good old JOSPT, and um, I believe is in June. Uh, and the title of the article is "The Best Exercise Options for Reducing Pain and Disability in Adults with Chronic Low Back Pain: Pilates, Strength, Core Based, and Mind Body: A Network Meta Analysis." So basically. <clears throat> And the, the author was uh, Ruben Fernandez Rodriguez and a whole bunch of other uh, contributing uh, authors that w- would take a long time to go through. Um, 
So this was a meta-analysis where they looked at a whole bunch of research studies that, that addressed back pain and, you know, they kind of compiled them, whether they were Pilates focused or, or strength focused or core focused or whatever it was. And if you read the conclusions, it says, although most exercise interventions had benefits for managing pain and disability in chronic low back pain, the most beneficial programs were those that included at least one to two sessions per week of Pilates or strength-based exercises, um, sessions of less than 60 minutes of core-based strength or mind-body exercises, and training programs that lasted between three and nine weeks. Okay. So I thought that this article was not shocking in any way. It kind of confirmed a lot of my biases, but I think that it's worth maybe a little bit more uh, nuance. And, and I did a, a quick Instagram post on this, just on like my bullet point takeaways. And it seemed to be pretty well received. And a lot of people seem to agree with that. And essentially, bullet point takeaways, and I, I want to see if you agree with these, Mark, are, were hey, exercise seems to work for low back pain. We looked at all of these different types of exercise and we did a you know meta-analysis, a systematic review about it, and looks like they all seem to work. Number two, seems like if you do at least one, if not two sessions a week of, of focusing on this stuff, seems to work a little bit better. So if you're doing it consistently, right, if you have some sort of consistency on, on, with which you're working on a problem, it seems to get more better. Um, if you have a program that lasts between three and nine weeks, probably most of the research studies did not go past nine to 12 weeks, you know, a lot of the time. And of course, the first measurements were probably in the two to three to four week range. So you start to see benefits happening somewhere between three and nine weeks. Um, and then a lot of times the magic number in, in therapy is, you know, most of these things get better within six to eight weeks. That's what we tell a lot of people. So there's a, there's just like a straight up normal, um, you know, regression to the mean and uh, time-based, uh, you know, impact of most injuries and low back pain, of course, is one of those. Now, these people did have chronic low back pain. So this was probably more of a regression to the mean or, you know, just like a, a natural resolution, natural history resolution of a flare of back pain that, that we're talking about. But um, it's always important to recognize that flares of back pain on average, tend to get, I think the, the data shows 75 to 80% of cases of low back pain get better within six weeks of a flare. You know, at least um, if you flare up to a five or a six out of, out of 10 on pain, you'll, you'll be back down in, <clears throat> into the two to three range on pain after, you know, about six weeks. So this study showed that. And of course, you know, that makes perfect sense. And then the one thing that I think maybe deserves a little bit more discussion is that it was Pilates in, you know, kind of like core focused exercises. And people will immediately jump up and say, well, yes, Pilates is that's where we need to go. We need to be working on the core. We need to be working on the trunk. We need to be working on um, the transverse abdominis and the, the all of this sort of stuff. And I would argue that if you have low back pain, directing exercise towards the area of the low back pain of the low back is probably going to be superior than directing exercises towards the, the knee or the hip or the shoulder, right? Because 
you're actually directing exercise and treatment focus towards the area of concern. You're actually moving and exercising the area of concern. You're working on in the area that that person has been protecting and is maybe fearful of, and you're causing them to focus on that that area and exercise that area. So it may have nothing to do, and I would argue that it has nothing to do with the specific benefit of Pilates or strength-based exercise for the core and probably has a lot more to do with the targeted focus of exercising that area that is painful. Because even if you look at placebo stuff, right, placebo research, the more specific a placebo is, the higher the likelihood that it works. You know, you have a greater effect from more specific Uh, more directed placebo explanations and that sort of thing. So people are probably not going to perceive a lot of value or benefit if you're working on their quads with low back pain. But if you're working on their low back with low back pain, they will probably perceive more benefit from that. And then, of course, all of the factors that go along with, you know, short term changes in, um, maybe cognitive mapping and uh, neuromotor control and body awareness and all of that sort of stuff uh, in the area of an injury. If you're working on that area, you're probably going to have some of those, uh, you know, maybe a little bit more nonspecific effects than working on an area distal to that. Um, so th- those were a lot of my takeaways right off the bat. Um, it made sense to me on Hey, you need to do it a couple times a week. Hey, you need to do it for three to nine weeks. Hey, you probably should do some exercises focused towards the low back pain. But in general, exercise seems to get people better. So what were what were your thoughts, Mark? No, no, I think, you know, there was no real like, oh, my God, this is new, uh, you know, practice changing information. I think it confirmed a lot of what you see clinically as far as often these things. We see people twice a week and it takes about six weeks on average for folks to make a pretty solid dent in how they're feeling and moving definitely on board with the discussions of when somebody perceives the treatment at hand is addressing their direct issue. Athletic is right on the problem. And that's where I have that exact question. Is there any exercises you feel like we need to be doing for your low back? Are you, is there anything that you really feels like fits with your exercise interests and by golly, we're going to do that in treatment. If that's something, they, if they tell me Pilates is their jam, then we'll do Pilates based, uh, you know, work. I'm not going to use any unstable core discussions or anything like that. I'll say, Hey, we're getting more strong and resilient around your back. So you, so when your back encounters life, it's ready to roll. Um, yeah, but it, it makes complete sense to me that, you know, something that a patient perceives is going to, is at the issue. And I mean, you'll hear people, oh, the doctor told me to walk and I need to strengthen my legs. And it does, I mean, again, just overall perception that what have first seen patients do it. There is a kind of a disconnect sometimes where patients don't see how that's going to, it's not my legs. It's not, you know, walking, I guess, is kind of using your back a little bit. But um, patients don't always perceive that as like that's a back exercise to walk, even though, you know, you can have some discussions that, you know, it does tend to get your back moving and walking. And I'll talk about people, especially those folks that are very kind of co-contracted and tense and braced. We often will relax walking and letting your hips sway and letting your arms swing a little bit can be a good helpful exercise for that person. But, um, it, it, again, it just makes sense to me that when somebody sees how an exercise in front of them is, is directed towards the thing that they perceive as their problem, that there's going to be better chance that they're going to have positive outcomes, um, with that. Um, 
I, I think, you know, the, the core exercises we've had discussions, I don't remember what number of podcasts it was, but you know, the, the discussions of core having worked with just a lot of folks with persistent low back pain, I think one of the biggest practice changing things for me was to get people away from being so freaking core driven with their, their activities and patterns. Cause oftentimes they've been through multiple PTs and that's usually our default. If you have a pulse and you have back pain, we're going to throw core exercise at you. I don't even use the word core uh, with people. I say, yeah, we're going to get you, get your back stronger with the things that are important to you to do in life. I don't, I just feel like the whole core stability mindset just is faulted with, you know, this belief that there's some one, there's a specific core that exists. We could get into that whole discussion. That's a whole, and we have in this, in this podcast, look back in our list and you'll find it. But um, I just think, you know, there's, exercising. And, and I guess if, if core stability is the way the person wants to, or core exercise is the language the person uses, I may throw that out. So I maybe I don't want people to say, well, I've heard you say core in clinic. If the patient says core, I'll just make sure their mindset around it isn't riddled with, you know, maladaptive beliefs and, and behaviors around it intense in the core when they pick up a newspaper off of the ground, then I'm not going to get too, then I might intervene if that's how they think core is, but I'm not going to usually get worried about throwing the word core around. But to kind of bring it back to the study. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it, it goes with what we see. I, t- again, it to me also says, you know, and that maybe they didn't put this, I'd be just curious if they ever did a uh, study to feel like, you know, look at exercise and do you feel these exercises were specifically targeted towards the problem at hand and to see what people's perceptions are of their exercises. Do they feel like they're directly addressing the it, the problem, the thing, um, and see where that relates. My suspicion, my, my hypothesis going in would be that there is a definitive association of if patients feel the exercises is addressing the issue at hand versus, you know, and I've probably been this PT where my exercises were just, you know, my, my, my pack of cardula exercises that I just mindlessly threw at people because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I mean, not maybe that, but I just feel like, you know, these are the exercises that was my bias at the time. And maybe there was some patients where that was just a major disconnect with, because I was more in my own head as trying to figure out my way early in my career versus really tailoring it to the unique individual. So I made sure that that person is associated with what I'm doing. That is the, this dude is getting right at my problem. Um, uh, I'd be curious to see what those studies would, would look like. What are your thoughts on that chair? Yeah. I mean, that would be my bias as well. If you feel an exercise in an area, you're certainly going, in my opinion, or my perception would be that you would, uh, you would perceive a a greater benefit from that exercise. If you feel it where you're, you want to feel it, where you're supposed to feel it, where you try to feel it. Um, if it's targeted at the area that you feel like needs work, a, you're probably going to be more adherent to the exercise program. Uh-oh. Oh, did I lose you, Jared? We may have lost Jared on the podcast. He, he may pop in back in. So, you, nope, wait, I see you again, dude. That was, that was strange. That was strange. It was a, uh, if for those of you watching the video, if you saw that, I had a really wonderful look on my face when things kind of skipped a beat there. Dude, it always freeze frames. Like at least you weren't like picking your nose or doing anything. I mean, you guys can kind of imagine on the podcast if you, it might stimulate you to go check out our YouTube channel and see what Jared's little uh, pause face looked like. But <laughs> it wasn't too bad. I mean, I've seen worse audio. But uh, continue with your thoughts, sir. Yeah, well, I, I was saying that um, you know, if you if you feel it in that area, you, you are probably going to perceive more benefit 
to it, right? And to take that a step further, if you believe in those exercises and that you think that they're targeting where they need to, probably going to be more adherent to the exercise program and more consistent with it as well, right? Which kind of comes back to, I wanted to add some clarity. I said, you know, th- this study said you need to do them one to, you know, one to two times a week. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. A patient doesn't have to come to clinic two times a week, every single week. Um, if they are super good about doing a home exercise program on a regular basis, Uh, but we all know that there are people who need accountability partners and they need, maybe their schedule is just crazy busy. And if they schedule it in and they're coming to see you, they are, they are darn sure going to get their exercises done. And if they don't schedule it in, they're not going to get it done. You know, life comes up. They've got three young kids. They've got a super busy job. They're all over the place. They're taking care of a million things. You do not have to feel guilty about having a person come in a couple of times a week to make sure that they get done what they need to get done. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but there are people that can take care of it themselves and that that's also okay. Uh, and then, you know, I, I thought about the three to the three to nine weeks thing. Um, and I don't want to send the message that the benefits are sheerly due. 100% to regression to the mean in natural history. Um, because that, that three to nine week zone is also about how long it takes to really start noticing or, or creating, uh, biological, you know, physiological changes, right? We, we know that we don't see muscle hypertrophy until, uh, three or four weeks in. We, we, we know that if you're practicing a new skill, so you never shot a free throw before, you're, you're, you, and you start practicing that, that's going to take a few weeks until you really start to get good. You really start to hone in. You, you, you make some neuroplastic changes and that sort of thing. So, there, there are a lot of reasons why we'll say, you know, six weeks tends to be a, a kind of a magic number for a lot of conditions, both, you know, tissue healing and physiological adaptation and natural history and regression to the mean all seem to be hitting a sweet spot, you know, somewhere between, you know, five, six, seven, eight weeks. Uh, so I, I didn't want to send the wrong message with that. Uh, there, there's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely more to discuss on that, but, uh, I, I think again, it goes to tailoring the program to the unique human in front of you. I think if you're a young clinician and you force people into two times, three times a week, and there might be pressures external to you. So we, I get that too, but, um, that doesn't fit the human in front of you. Maybe they are a very self independent, self-driven exerciser that just needs a guide. And you might be that person once a week who checks in with them, make sure progress is happening. I, some people get so offended of like, are we just ride natural history and regression there? We live in a healthcare system where that is so hard for a person to navigate on their own because they often get stripped of, you know, their agency of the situation. They don't have, they have all these negative beliefs and behaviors being thrown at them that having somebody like a skilled physical therapist, chiropractor in their corner to help natural history do its thing. They often come to us with chronic low back pain where natural history hasn't been given a chance because they've been given all this fear mongering crap from PTs, chiros, physicians. I mean, none of us are innocent to that. I've probably thrown my share of it too, to where we don't need to be like insulted. I mean, I think it is a skillful thing to help somebody get back on the natural history. I think the human body 
has amazing capacity given the right environment, right mindset. Obviously, there's a lot more factors. Some folks uniquely have issues and genetic and, and systemic things that may not make a full natural history recovery possible. But I think there are a lot of people where if we can just put the right context and mindset around them and shield them from some of the shit, pardon my French, that the healthcare tends to throw at them around back pain, um, that that I am more than okay to, to, to say, hey, your body's doing what bodies do if given the right stimulus and the right environment to, to recover. Um, definitely, we can skillfully dose exercise and get them back to life. And it doesn't need to be some fancy bells and whistles interventions. You know, give people the credit they need. If we need an intervention to kind of nudge them forward, uh, you know, I'm not a huge fan of passive stuff as much anymore. Um, do it a little bit, but yeah, anyway, that's a whole nother podcast. And again, we've, I've railed on that one for many a podcast in the past, but uh, again, I, I think this studies was just a helpful refresher that, Hey, you know, we, it makes sense for what we see clinically. We got a lot of patients that, um, have some serious capacity to get better in chronic low back pain, fit it to the unique human in front of you. N equals one where you have a unique uh, human that you need to tailor things to and a uh, better chance if you can tailor it to where they perceive it. And how will you know they're perceiving that you're dealing with the issue at hand? Ask them and, you know, create an environment where there's an open exchange of ideas that they can, where, what exercise fits your idea of what we need. Now, obviously if they're talking about, you know, you need to realign all these uncro these crooked blocks in my back, they're out of alignment, then we might need to have some discussions of, okay, yeah, but um, type discussions. But again, that's things we've talked about numerous times about how to navigate those with folks who are thinking that they're unstable, you know, stacks of blocks, you know, they need to maybe have some some exposure based things, exposure with control where they see that in fact, if they move their back out of perfect alignment, that in fact, it won't fall out of alignment and, and crumble to the ground. So, um, any other things you think we should leave folks with Jared? Yeah. You know, I just like that point that you brought up about, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with being in somebody's corner for a little time while, while maybe time and natural history or whatever does its thing. Because, uh, you know, some people, and we've been saying this and a lot of really smart people have been saying this for a long time. Some people just need to hear that they're okay. Like what they're going through is not, um, uh, devastating or, you know, it's not a severe injury or whatever it is, even though it might feel really bad right now, they are okay. Some people, if they hear that once or twice, they they internalize it and they're good. Other people, they might need to hear that every single week until they get better because they're ruminating on it. And they're like, I, I don't know. I don't know. Like I felt I felt better and, and now I'm feeling a little bit worse. I need to hear that I'm OK again. I need to make sure everything's OK. Again, there is nothing wrong with that. You know, if you walk up to somebody that um is a smoker and you ask them what they need to do to get better. And, and they would say, well, I need to stop smoking. Well, they know that, but they're not able to do that maybe because they don't have some, a coach, an accountability partner. They don't have somebody that's, that's helping them along the way to do that. If, if you go up to somebody that is, you know, significantly overweight at an unhealthy point in their life, they know that they need to probably be a little bit less heavy, right? To be healthier. And they, they know how to do that. They know that, well, I need to, you know, make some modifications to how much I eat and, and that sort of thing. They know that, but there's a reason that there are, you know, nutrition coaches and, and uh, dietitians and nutritionists and stuff like this that help provide accountability and coaching and support through that process because, that process is freaking hard. Okay. It is hard to be in pain and keep your mind like 
under control until you can get better. And having somebody help you explore movement and gradually progress that movement and reassure you that you are okay and you are going the right direction, that is that is super valuable. And that's not something to just be like scoffed at, in my opinion. To me, that is the biggest issue we have, at least in physio, as far as we have misattributed what is true skill and expertise in our profession. And we've, and I know I was this way where it was like, how many ways can I crack a neck or poke a, I don't do needling, but poke a needle into somebody and maybe I can throw electricity on or whatever, or, or tape or scrape or whatever it may be that that's the real skill of being a PT. And we've so identified ourselves as, as practitioners where we have to have all these fancy, shiny tools when I would argue the most skillful and most impactful thing you can do is learn to come alongside somebody uniquely, understand them as an individual and what's going to push them over the finish line to where maybe natural history and their body's natural capacity can take hold. And and that's a hard freaking thing. Like you said, some people are engaged and have a lot of things in their life that really make it hard. But if you can really be an amazing come alongside coach, guide, Alfred versus the Batman, things we've railed against forever on this podcast. To me, that's the hardest, most skillful thing. If we can focus on that, I think we'd have a hell of a lot more impact than again, worrying how many ways we can crack a neck or poke a needle or all this stuff that again, I'm not saying it's worthless, but I think it's greatly overestimated how important that is to somebody recovering from pain, a uh, painful issue. Um, again, you can come at me on social media. I'm fine with it, I, but I'd be curious what your guys' thoughts are on it. I just think um, you know, we've, we feel like we were invalidated if we don't have this fancy, this degree that we spend all this money with and that we have to have these fancy high tech, you know, type intervention approaches. When I think the, the, the look in a human in the eye and how do I help you uniquely with the life you lead and the unique variables you have in your life, gain positive associations back with movement and getting you back in the things that you find joy and value in. And that sounds simple, but it is massively complex and hard. Um, to, to do that with, with people who deal with human things that are complex and hard and, and challenging. So, um, hopefully you guys found some value in the podcast today as my blood pressure raised at the end there. I'm sorry, but uh, I just think, you know, I, I get 20 years in and I've seen, I look back and I just see how much time I wasted emphasizing the wrong things in clinical practice. I think if we just emphasize the unique people we're privileged to serve and not the unique interventions that we think are way too important to be on, in my humble opinion, um, I think we'd help a lot more people. So anything you want folks to leave with here today, Jared? No, no. I just want to hear what people thought about this study. And I want to hear what you thought about uh, what we thought about this study. So as you, as usual, let's continue the discussion online. Um, uh, I, I would, I would like to hear if somebody has a different take on this than what we talked about, or I would, of course, you know, positive reinforcement. I would love to hear if we said something today that resonated with you. Yeah. Please just layer on the confirmation bias. No dissenting opinions. No, obviously if you think differently, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, uh, we definitely, um, uh, I've, I've been wrong and have been wrong and will be continue to be wrong from time to time. And there may be things we overlooked that I'd love to hear if you guys think, well, what about this? Um, so yeah, chime in on social media. We'll be posting these, um, and let us know what your thoughts are, but, um, we were going to wrap it up with that. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode and we'll see you next time. 
This has been another episode of the Modern Pain Podcast with Dr. Mark Karchula. Join us next time as we continue our journey to help change the story around pain. For more information on the show, visit modernpaincare.com. Also, visit the Pain Masterminds Network on Facebook for free education and resources. This podcast is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. Please consult a licensed professional for your specific medical needs. Changing the story around pain. This is the Modern Pain Podcast.